get you to remain standing. Just stand to your feet for one more minute. You'll learn the drill. Hey, can you uh, join me and thank our worship teams? You guys in at East as well. Thank you, guys. We are so blessed. The Spirit of God is in this place. I suspect he's also at Bayside as well. We do want to welcome everybody worshiping in at East St. John. We want to welcome everybody watching online, wherever you are. And then we want to specifically welcome everybody in Halifax, a growing group of people there uh, under the banner of King's Church. So let's just take a minute. Welcome those who aren't here. If you have a Bible, I want to jump right in. I don't have as much time as I'd like because we're going to jump into the, the, the party later. We're going to baptize. We're going to celebrate in baptism, but we're going to jump right in today. Ephesians chapter 2, if you have a Bible, you can find your way there. If not, it'll be on the screen. We also have some lovely folks in red shirts that have Bibles. That, that's our gift to you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own, we want you to have one. We believe that's not just a book. That's God's Word, and it brings life. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. I want to read Ephesians chapter 2 as we continue our series on a mission, and then we're ultimately going to have a baptism party. Uh, but you ever been to a party that you didn't know what we were celebrating? It's really awkward, isn't it? Well, we're not going to do that today. I'm going to tell you the reason we're celebrating. We're going to break that down here, and then we're going to have a party. We're going to party like it's 1990 or 2017 or whatever. We're going to party like the tomb is empty. We're going to party like it's year 33. Yeah, amen. All right, Ephesians 2 says this, as for you, say me, me, as for you, as for us, we, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us say all of us, all of us, the preacher too, all of us, especially preachers, all of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Every one of us. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, but because of his great love for us, not because of your hard work, not because of how smart you are, not because of what you did, because of his great love for us. Can I get an amen? God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, even while we were yet sinners, Paul said somewhere else, 2 Corinthians 5. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. This is sounding good, isn't it? Expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for grace. Jesus, we thank you that you are the author and perfecter of our faith. We thank you today that it is by grace we have been saved. Now, God, give us by the power of your spirit, a revelation in our hearts that confounds our wisdom, our intelligence, our pride, all of it. It just lays waste to it and that we would find ourselves alive in the foolishness of the cross and resurrection. So Father, would you speak to us now? Would you draw us deeper into this world we now see completely differently by the reality of the gospel of grace in Jesus? We pray this in Jesus' mighty name and everybody said... Amen. I want to talk to you today. The title of my message is, Have You Heard the Good News? If I had a secondary title, it would be, Have I Told You Lately? 
have I told you? No, I'm not going to do that. But you're going to say, sing that song to two or three people and then have a seat. I want to see how that goes. Go ahead. Grab a seat. Have I told you lately that Jesus loves you? He does. It was about three weeks ago, Friday, I was playing basketball at the YMCA with some guys, just a pickup run I like to go to. Uh, I'm generally one of the oldest guys there. I'm not very good anymore, but it's just fun to be active. And so I, there I am playing basketball and uh, between games, I'll go and check my phone and just see if my wife texts it or what have you. And I got a text while I was playing from my brother-in-law, uh, Mark, who's the pastor at Cross Point Church in Fredericton. He texted me a link to an article that CBC had put up on our church. There was a news article put in there uh, from our church, and I, I could almost see the smirk on my brother-in-law's face because he's had his run-ins with the media, if you know Crosspoint's story at all. But uh, I, I opened the, the article and read and began to feel my blood boil uh, because I was reading this news article that really was, you know, at best off base. I'm not going to get into what the motivations of it were. I don't really want to speculate. All I know is this, when I read it, about 75% of what was reported was inaccurate. The facts weren't even straight, let alone the meaning behind what the, the journalist was trying to say in the first place. Like the facts were really messed up. And I just, I remember reading it thinking, you know what? This Trump guy's onto something. Fake news. Here's something I know to be true. I don't know where you land on the Trump thing. And I'm, not, I'm not an evangelist or a hater. I'm just going to be Switzerland on the whole thing. Because we've got people here sitting beside Trump supporters. And the other person's like, you like Trump? You don't? Anyway, we're not going there. But what I've found about this whole fake news thing is the few times I have been in the paper or our church has been in the paper or on TV or in the media for any reason, I have found even the ones that the journalists were trying to write something that was well-intentioned, they weren't trying to smear anything. They were trying to actually like promote our church and say, hey, these are some of the good things that are going on at this church. I am 0 for 5 on all articles that have been in the newspaper or on TV on any of them, me walking away saying, you know what, they nailed it. It has yet to happen. And I've learned this to be true, at least in my own experience, that it is not, it's easier said than done for the news to get the facts straight. And so I have this bias now when I hear the news, read the news, I am understanding that this is maybe a fact in a much larger story and it's probably skewed and I don't know if these are all the facts. And so I am on my guard because it's really easy to realize that you have been being fed inaccurate information. Has anybody maybe known someone that was covered in the news? You had a family member and you realize, okay, maybe everything I read in the news isn't 100% accurate. Anybody ever have that revelation? The only people that believe the news is 100% accurate are the people who either who, who wrote it or were in it. If you weren't in it or writing it, you'll understand that uh, maybe you think it's 100% accurate, but it's really easy to get the facts messed up. And I'm not about to get on a high horse and, and get on the media. I don't really care what they do. My hope is not in what they report, and my hope is not in this world. But what I do want to illustrate is this, that it's really, really simple to mess up the story. You ever found that to be true in your own life? Like, you know, we would get really judgmental of the media, but have you ever like, maybe, maybe you, were, you saw someone and you had this thing you wanted to tell them. You're like, hey, I've got to tell you something later. I'm going to finish my shift, but when I get done, I'm going to tell you something awesome. And you finish, your, you finish work and then you meet up with that person. Maybe it's your spouse. And they're like, so what did you want to tell me? You're like, oh, I forget. You ever forgot what you were going to tell? You ever, or maybe, maybe this one, maybe this happens to me all the time. It's not that you forgot. It's that you're incapable of doing it justice. 
You can't grab the right details. This happens to me with my wife all the time. Like, God bless her. She just smiles and nods and she, she looks at me as I, with excitement on my face, I'm trying to explain this thing I'm excited about. And she's, I can tell she's not sharing my joy. And, and so I'm like, forget it, forget it. You, you had to be there, right? You had to be there. The news isn't so simple. And in fact, it's very easy to get the facts messed up. This is what we illustrate in the game telephone. You ever play the game telephone in elementary school? If I whispered something into this gentleman's ear and asked everybody to go through the rest of the congregation, maybe we even took it all the way to Bayside. I guarantee you what was whispered from me is not going to be what you say in the end because it's really easy to mess up the facts. And where I'm going with this is as we continue our series in On a Mission, we launched this series last week called On a Mission, where we talked about this simple fact that God has called the church to be the tellers of good news. That our job as believers is not just to sit back on our faith and enjoy the fact that we're saved and going to heaven, although we are, but God has actually put us on mission. We talked about how God calls us to, to conviction over convenience and that we're called to actually go out and declare and demonstrate to the whole world the good news that Jesus saves. That's our job. And we looked at that last week. And so we, we talked about how the fact that God has called us all to be gospel preachers. Gospel, the word gospel means good news. That's, we're, we're, we're called to be good news preachers. We're called to tell everybody, everywhere, the good news. But what I've found in my own life, and what you might have found too, is that's easier said than done. And sometimes it's hard to keep the facts straight. You ever felt like that? You ever been on the, on the receiving end of it? Maybe in your, in your history, and your story of faith. I talk to people all the time who join us here at King's Church and they find a God they never knew. And they find a Jesus and a gospel that is way gooder news than they thought it was. And the story they heard was not anything like the story they're hearing now. It's, it's very easy, even those of us with the best of intentions, to not get the facts straight, to mess them up. Some of you have never actually heard the real gospel. And some of us, we've heard it, and we've felt it, and we believe it, but we need to be reminded we need to be reminded of the, the good news we believe. This is what Paul was getting at. One of the best discourses of the gospel, if you want to read the gospel, is in 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul basically lays out what the gospel was. And he did this. If you read, he begins by saying, I want to remind you, Corinthians, about the good news that I preached. It's this good news that you have been saved by. And if you believe anything else, you have believed in vain. See, it's very easy for false gospels to creep in. For the facts to get diluted, for the, for the facts to not be straight. And I see it all the time, especially as a pastor. I've experienced it in my own life where I had to come to find the good news. It might have been something different than I thought it was. But I've also seen it as a pastor. Week after week, I see people come in and they'll say something to me that just clearly jars me. Where, I, where I'm reminded that, you know what, I'm not quite sure you've really heard what this is all about. There are people every year, I always say this, and I always avoid the rant at Easter, but every year Easter is full of people who heard a, a version of the good news that obviously is not the good news that we preach. If you understood the good news, you wouldn't feel obligated to come once a year. See, it's very easy for the facts to be messed up. And so the question I want to ask is this, have you heard the good news? Have you heard it lately? Now, I'm just going to spend a couple minutes today just relaying to you what is the good news, and we're going to dive right in. But to begin with the good news, we've got to start with the bad news. Am I right? Like, no, no bad news. Here's something I know to be true. For good news to be good, 
let me, let me rephrase that. The best news you have ever heard in your life was ultimately on the other side of something bad. Let me illustrate. Um, you, maybe this happened to you. You got a phone call one day and it was a doctor. And on the other end of the line, the doctor said, I have good news for you. You're cancer free. Why is that good news? Because the bad news was you had cancer. Uh, maybe that this has happened to a multitude of couples in our church that have been trying to have kids and they had that good news happen to them. Good news, you're pregnant. Well, it's good news. It's extra good news because the bad news was they struggled for a very long time to get pregnant. Good news, it's a girl. Just this past week, uh, a friend of mine from our church, they gave birth to a little girl. It's a miracle, a total miracle. We prayed over them and they conceived and God is awesome and we just love that. But the, the fact is this, the gooder or the badder the bad news, the gooder the good news, right? Can I, can I say it like that? We all understand what I mean, right? The, the badder the bad news, the gooder the good news. And so I want to begin by relaying to you what is the bad news. When we talk about this good news, why is it so good? It's because the bad news is really bad. And, and, I, and I fear that there are a lot of people, a lot of Christians who never actually heard the bad news. And so what Jesus becomes to them isn't a savior. It's not salvation. He becomes just this kind of way to augment my life in the here and now. But it's much, much more than that. It's much bigger than that. It's much better than that because there's there's bad news associated with it. So what's the bad news? Thanks for asking. Here's our cosmic problem. When we get talking about the gospel, the good news, the problem is sin. Sin. The Bible calls it sin. That's not a word that we talk about it very much anymore. It's not a word that we are really all that comfortable with. But what the Bible uses to talk about the problem in our world, the problem in us, is this word sin. Sin, first and foremost, the Bible says, is the big problem in our world. There's this reality of natural evil all around us. Now, you might not call it evil, but what, I don't know what you want to call it. You might not call it sin, but what the Bible calls uh, earthquakes and disasters and disease and famine and injustice and, and, and persecution and, and wars and anger and rage and jealousy and all the stuff of this world, all the broken stuff, all the stuff that makes you say, why? The Bible says it's because of sin. See, so many people think, they wrongly think, you know, if God is good, then why all the, well, if you read your Bible, you would understand all of the stuff is the result of sin. The Bible says that God made everything good and that sin is what broke this world. Ever, ever, ever looked around the world and said, this place is broken. It's because it is. There is beauty in this world. There is joy in this world. But I'll tell you something. It is full of death and decay and destruction and disease and dismay and any other depression, any other D word. Why are D words all bad? It is full of difficulty. And that's because of sin. The Bible is not silent about the world being a broken place. The Bible paints the backdrop of the world being in enmity. Uh, Romans 8, creation is subject to futility, it says. We're broken. We're bound in sin. Creation is broken. Civilization is broken. So sin, stay with me. This is important. We've got to hit this bad news first. I'll get to the good news, I promise. But sin is the deadly disease that comes from disunion with God. That's what sin is. 
lot of you have been taught in, the, in your gospel that's fake news is that sin is bad stuff you do. No, 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 no. The bad stuff you do is the result. It's the fruit of sin. It's, the, it's sin shown. Sin is something deeper. Sin is a disunity, a disunion with God. That is what sin is. Sin is the result of detachment from God who is life. That's what sin is. The biggest problem facing the world is not war, it's not disease, it's not decay, it's not famine. Those are the byproducts of the real problem. The problem is sin. Sin is the problem in this world. All problems, get this, all pain, all human suffering is the result of sin. The Bible begins there and it's bad news. And now here's, here it gets a little worse before it gets better. Sin isn't just all around us, sin is in us. Sin is in us. The iniquity, this is the word iniquity. Anybody ever heard that word? The word iniquity actually roots from the word equity, that we're actually unequal with God, that there's this detachment with God. Iniquity, sinfulness inside of us is the greatest issue facing your well-being. Jesus taught this. Uh, there's a story in Mark chapter two where Jesus shows up to this guy's house and he's teaching and these ambitious friends bring a person who is paralyzed. Again, talk about brokenness in the world. This man's body was broken. He was paralyzed from birth. They bring him to Jesus. They lay, lay him at Jesus's feet. And then what does Jesus do? Jesus looks at this poor man who couldn't walk. Like what a torturous life to live, especially in those days when they didn't have the technology they do now. And Jesus looks on him and Jesus doesn't say, sir, get up, you're healed, what's he say? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. And that was going to be that. Because why? Because Jesus taught that there's actually a greater problem facing every human being than just the sin and destruction outside of us. It's the sin in us that we need forgiveness from. Jesus said, son, your sins are forgiven. And then the Bible says that people started to clue into what he was saying, that he's calling himself God, that he's able to forgive sins. And they start murmuring and Jesus calls them on and he says this, which is easier to say to this paralyzed man. I think we'll bring the verse up. Your sins are forgiven or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. It's a rhetorical question. He's saying it's easier to fix his body than to fix his soul. That's what he's getting at. The soul is the big deal. The state of your soul, the unseen is the greater reality than the seen. And the Bible says that the entire creation, both the seen and unseen, have been subjected to the reality of sin and it has broken everything. Sin is the big problem in us. And the Bible says this. Let me just push on this and I'm gonna move into good news and we're gonna celebrate, we're gonna have baptisms. You're gonna feel like it's better than ever. But let me just push on this. The Bible says that in the heart of every man is ultimately sinfulness. Like the theologians call it depravity, that that's what's actually in the heart of people. There, there is a falseism in our world today, and you've probably heard it, and you, may, you might, have thought, might have thought of this, and it sounds right. But a lot of us are quick to say, you know what? I think at the end of the day, most people are good. Anybody ever heard that or thought that? That's a fair thought. You mean people are not so bad. But the Bible actually says, actually in our heart of hearts, our hearts are bent toward destruction, not towards life or God who is the only one who is good. Bible says in Psalm 51, 5, surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory, what's the glory? The standard. We've all sinned. There's that gap, that detachment. There's that space of sin and death. Jeremiah 17, 9. This one's harsh. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? See, the issue affecting all of us 
It's not, it's not good or bad. It's dead or alive. It's sinfulness that, that rests inside the heart of us all. That's what the Ten Commandments are. A lot of you have maybe came to church when you were a kid and you saw on the walls that stone tablet drawing and it had the Ten Commandments on it and you were taught this is what good boys and girls do. That's not why the Ten Commandments are in the Bible. The Ten Commandments were God's, uh, they were God's gift to his people to reveal his way. And what the Ten Commandments serve humanity as primarily, it shows how far we are from God. Like, it's like an x-ray. We've got lots of people in the medical field here. An x-ray never actually healed anybody, right? You get an x-ray, what's it do? It tells you you're broken. That's what the Ten Commandments do. They're there to tell you that we're broken, that we need God, we need redemption, we need a savior. Think about the Ten Commandments for a second. Like, what's number one? Have no other gods before me, ever, never, not a minute. Don't put anything ever before me is what commandment one is. How you doing with that one? Strike one. Never take my name in vain. Okay, well, I don't cuss. No, no, that's not what that means. It means never minimize the importance of my name ever. Don't speak flippantly. Don't speak tritely about God. Be careful even when God forms on your lips. You ever, how are you doing? Sin's in us. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. That's hilarious. Right? Especially in our day. Take a full day off from work. Don't do anything. Honor your parents, right? Don't murder. Okay, there, there we go. One. But Jesus said, even if, you, even if you hate a man in your heart, you're a murderer. Jesus said, oh no, God's not, God's not judging your actions. He judges the heart. You see, you'd murder someone if you thought you could get away with it. You see, the Bible reveals that we are sinful to our core and that we have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And and if you are honest with yourself and you are honest with, with your own track record, you would look back and say, yeah, you know what? There is sin in me. There is depravity. There is iniquity in me. I have fallen short of the glory of God. And if you can't look back and say that, the Bible would say you're A, maybe delusional, and I don't know what, what, what to tell you, but B, you're likely very proud. And if you're proud, that's the most detestable sin to God there is. God opposes the proud, it says. See, sin is this fatal disease that has infected and affected everything, our lives, our souls, our world. Sin is the problem. All right, one more problem and then we get to the good news, I promise. Here, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna go from sin is our problem. Now let's look at God for a second. We're gonna get to the good news in a sec. But there's a great problem that sin poses. Sin in creation poses a problem for God. It, it, it's, it's based on this. One, God is good. God's nature, as the Bible says, is that he is good. Isn't that amazing news that God is only ever good all the time? God is good. We say that in church sometimes. God is good. And all the time. And I I just did that because next week when someone does that, those of you who just heard that for the first time, now you're in. Like it's like the little thing we do. But but God is good. Like he's only ever good. Uh, Tozer, A.W. Tozer, one of my favorite preachers and authors of the last couple centuries. he, He says this, love isn't something God does. It's who he is. He can't turn it off and on. It's it's who he is all the time. God is only ever all the time good. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. 1 John 4, 18, God is love. James 1, 17, I think I have that scripture, one of my favorite scriptures. Every good and perfect gift, every good thing in your world and in your life 
comes from him, comes down from the heaven of fatherly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. What's that mean? It means that God doesn't wake up cranky. He doesn't have bad days. He doesn't need to take a mental health day. God only ever is good. That's his disposition towards you. Isn't that an amazing reality? You know, you think, okay, well, then we're good, right? Then what's the big deal? What's the bad news? The bad news is because God is good, it means that he's just. What's just? It means that, it means that he's right. It means that he would never call something wrong that is right or something right that is wrong. He calls it like it is, and as it is, he is only ever right. He's just, he's righteous, he's holy. He only does what is right, only says what is right. He can only ever be right. Again, right is not something God does. Right is something God is. God is right. And so this means something, that if God is good... God is just, that justice is a byproduct of his goodness. And that would mean something that God would hate anything that infracts against life, which means God hates sin. God hates sin, all of it. In the world, he hates it in us. This is, why, this is what the Bible talks about, the word wrath. And again, I, I suspect that there's a lot of you that have heard that word wrong too. And you thought of God as some angry old codger up in the sky, ready to smack his smiting stick. That's not, don't think of wrath like that. Think of wrath as God's mechanism for removing anything that destroys, degrades, or kills. Think of it as how he deals with something that has been destroying something he loves. Like I'm a father. If there was a person that was going to harm one of my kids. That's wrath. And let me ask you a question. Is it warranted? If someone did something awful to one of my kids, is, is my anger warranted? Yes. That's justice. We all have a sense of it in us. God hates sin and he is just. Here's an awesome quote from A.W. Tozer. This might help somebody when you wrap your head around how God deals with sin in the world. Every wrathful judgment in the history of the world has been a holy act of preservation. The holiness of God, the wrath of God, and the health of creation are inseparably united. Wow. God's wrath is his utter intolerance of whatever degrades and destroys. Here, it'll hit home for you. He hates iniquity or sin as a mother hates the polio, this is dated, but, or cancer that takes the life of her child. That's how God views sin. He hates it. And the Bible says that he will destroy it. He will condemn it. He will get rid of it. The Bible says that he will remove all natural evil from creation. He will do away with it. He will carry it away and destroy it. It's going to be an amazing, amazing day. But here's the snag for you and I. Sin isn't just a problem around us. Sin is a problem in us. And we have been complicit in it. See, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us land ourselves on that side of God's wrath. We are subject to God's wrath, as it says in Ephesians chapter 2. We deserve it. We deserve it, the Bible says. And so here's the great quandary. The question that the, the Bible asks is this. See, a lot of the time, I think we're quick to say, how could a loving God pour out wrath on people? But if you actually understand sin, you would ask the question, how could God not pour out wrath on sin? See, the great quandary is this. How can God express his holy love to us without condoning the fact that we're sinners? You see it? 
Or how can God express his holy justice without condemning the fact that we're sinners? Are you seeing it? We stand in the crosshairs of a quandary, humanity that God created in his image, humanity that God loves. We are sinful so that we actually are in the crosshairs of wrath, and yet we're also in the crosshairs of God's love. So what's the solution? There's the problem. The problem is sin. The problem is God loves creation, but he loves it so much that he will do away with anything that degrades or destroys. So here comes the solution. Let's enter in the good news. You ready for some good news? Are you ready for some good news? Do I, do I need to work the bad news a little longer? No, we got it. We got it. No, but you won't get the good news unless you get that. That's why, that's why the great hymn writer uh, in Amazing Grace says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear. "'Twas grace my fears relieved." Like you gotta first have that revelation of, oh my God, I have fallen short. I, I am a broken, busted individual and I need forgiveness and I need saving. And you have to have that revelation. Now here comes the good news. The bad news, the wages of sin is death and we deserve before a holy God, we deserve this death, but here comes the good news. Romans 6, 23, let's bring it up. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the good news. I mean, that that is such a loaded statement. I got 11 minutes and 43 seconds to unpack. Not fair. The good news is this, that Jesus has bought us eternal life, not by anything you've done, but as a gift of God's grace. That in Jesus, we have been forgiven, redeemed, restored, and been given an eternal inheritance in spite of our sin, actually because of our sin, he laid his life down. Jesus is God's lone solution to the problem of sin and the dilemma of God's love and justice. If anybody asks you, what is the gospel? The gospel is this, Jesus is life. Jesus is life. Do you know that Jesus is the good news? Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. Three things. I'm going to bang these out fast, so pay attention. Then we're going to celebrate. Here's what the gospel is, essentially. What did Jesus do for us? Three things. He came, he died, he rose. He came, he died, he rose. Some of you need this because you're going to be telling people about this. Others, you just need to hear this. Jesus came. Number one, Jesus came. This is what we call the incarnation. Are you with me? I'm teaching. It's really hot in here to be teaching this heavy, but we're going there. This is the incarnation. This means what? It means that God came to us. Uh, first, uh, John 1.14, the message says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. What's the word? The word is Jesus. The word is God. Jesus is God with a bod. <laughs> Jesus is God in flesh. He put on flesh. He came to us. This is an incredible realization that Jesus came to us while we were dead in our transgressions, said in Ephesians 2. While we were still dead, God came to us. Why is that significant? Because every other religion in the world is the opposite. Every religion in the world is an attempt to stack good deeds upon good deeds and knowledge upon knowledge and to try to get yourself back to God. Everyone knows there's something missing. A lot of people realize it is a higher power. And so what you'll do is you'll go to a religion to try to find your way back to God. But the good news of the gospel is this. God found his way to us. 
That's what the gospel is, that God came to us. Jesus came. That means grace came, forgiveness came, mercy came, life came. It all came down to us. That is the great, great story we believe in, that, that God became one of us. First uh, Timothy 1.15, this is a trustworthy saying. Everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world. He came into the world to save sinners. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God appeared, bringing salvation for, you see it? But good people, no? Well, yeah, good people, sure. Bad people, yep, all people. Someone, someone asked me the other day, do you think Hitler could be in heaven uh, if he believed in Jesus? Yes. If, I, if on his last breath he repented and said, Jesus, forgive me? Yes, all people. Now, some of you, you don't like that. It strikes your injustice. You need to get over yourself. He came in to save all people. He came to teach. He came to reveal. He came to heal, but ultimately to save. I'd love to break down why Jesus is the only candidate that can save. It has to do with his deity. It has to do with the fact that he lived the perfect life. He lived the life that we could not live. Do you know the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every single way possible and he did not sin? That means that he was the perfect sacrifice for what he did next. He came, what did he do, number two? He died. Let's say it like we know it. He, Jesus died. Why is that significant? He died for our forgiveness, for our mercy, for our reconciliation to God, for our redemption. The cross, this this is what we talk about at Easter, the the, the weekend of Easter is this idea on Good Friday, uh, 2,000 years ago, the Romans nailed a man named Jesus of Nazareth who claimed to be God. They nailed him to a piece of wood, stretched his hands out while he asphyxiated in his own blood. That's what a crucifixion is. But for us, this is much more than just some weird capital punishment. For us, there was something significant going on. That was God in the flesh. That was God's right righteousness in the flesh being crucified. Why? Because when we put our faith in him, that becomes the place of exchange. There's this word atonement. Atonement ultimately means like this, this idea of, of exchange of that, that your sins have been covered. And that's what Jesus is to us. First Peter 2, 24 says this, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. See, there was more going on than just a man being tortured and died. Every beating, every whip, every breath was, was being bought, was buying our forgiveness. It was purchasing our freedom. That's what was happening on the cross. It's so profound. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Here it is. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by good works? No. By faith. To be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. What's that getting at? I wish I had time to go deeper on this, but the cross is the place, get this, I just just talked about it, where God's wrath and mercy meet. You, you want to know about God? Some, some people would ask, does God hate sin? Yes. Look at the cross. It says in Isaiah that it pleased the father to, to afflict the son. Why? Because in that moment, Jesus became sin. 
Jesus took on sin upon himself. Colossians said that he disarmed the rulers and authorities, making a public spectacle of them on the cross. Jesus took every sin, every infraction, every infection, everything about us and everything that we've been done or done to us. He took it all on the cross in that moment. And so when God saw that, he did not see his son. He saw the cancer. He saw the disease and he loved destroying it. Does God hate sin? Look at the cross. Does God love sinners? Look at the cross. That's what's so amazing about it. Like, I I have sons. I do not love you enough to sacrifice my son for you. Bible says God so loved, so loved the world, so loved you, so loved you, he so loved you that he gave his only son that whoever believed in him would not perish. He perished for you. They would have eternal life. The cross is this beautiful place of exchange where his righteousness for my rags, he buys us forgiveness. Do you know that you need forgiveness and do you know that you have it in Jesus? Isn't that an amazing thing? The cross means I can be forgiven forever and ever. And here's the deal. The cross is strong enough to cover any sin, anything that you've ever done. It's grace. The cross was the end of sin. And it was the beginning of a new revolution. One where Jesus rules and Jesus reigns. Number three. So Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus rose. He rose. This is connected. Some, some congregations have maybe have forgotten the significance of the cross and they don't think about that enough. Some congregations maybe have forgotten the significance about the resurrection. But the gospel is that Jesus came, Jesus died, and he rose. It's the whole story. Here's the reality. Jesus just didn't stay dead. He didn't just forgive our sins. That's great that we can die knowing that God forgives us, but if you die, you die, and you're dead, you're dead. But Jesus rose again in triumph over death. That's the significance of the resurrection. It's not just like a cool parlor. It's not a cool trick. Like, pa, see, I'm back. Like, that's not what Jesus is doing. He's saying, I am taking on all of sin and death. I am going to, I am going to offer everybody forgiveness and I am going to rise in victory. And that anybody who believes in me, says in John 10, 10, I've come to you have life and life to the full. He said at one point, he said, anybody who believes in me, though he die, he shall live means that we have eternal life, life now. We experience life now. Romans 8 says the same power that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you. Yeah, it's about your quality of life. Some of you, some of you haven't even experienced life yet because you don't know Jesus. It's about life now and it's about life forever and ever and ever. Revelation 1.17, Jesus said, don't be afraid. I, I am the first and the last. I'm the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive. I'm alive forever and ever and I hold the keys to death and hell. This is such an incredible, this is incredible news. Why? Because the person who died for you rose for you and now is offering that if you just trust me and follow me, I'll conquer de- I've conquered death and I will bring you unto life now and forever and ever and ever. That's good news. That's the best news ever. When you take seriously your own mortality, when you take seriously how messed up and broken this world is, the fact that Jesus died for my sins, that I've been made right with God, and now he's raised me up, that I'm not even the old me, I'm a brand new me in Jesus. It says in Ephesians 2, he's seated us with Christ in the heavenly places. That means that all that belongs to Christ belongs to you. He shares in his victory with us. 
You say, it sounds too good to be true. It's true, but it's too good. It's so good. It's grace. It's amazing. Jesus is the good news. Have you heard the good news? Jesus is the good news. He came. He lived the life we could not live. He died. He died the death we should have died. And he rose in complete and utter triumph in victory. There is no power on earth or in hell that can ever separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus. He is Lord over everything and he's for you. That's good news. Why don't you stand to your feet and let's read this together once more. I wanted to start and end with this. And I hope maybe this takes a little more life, a little more uh, color for you. It says in Ephesians 2, let's read it once more. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Yeah, say it out loud. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the craving of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Really quick, before we jump in and we, we, we have celebrate, celebrate baptism, what baptism is, is essentially people who have decided to put their faith in Jesus. And it's an outward symbol of an inward decision that they've made, a decision to lay their lives down and give it to Jesus. And as they go into the water, they're going in representing their death to their old self, being washed, their sins being washed away, being covered by the grace and love of Jesus and being raised to new life. That's what baptism is. And we're going to do that and celebrate that in a minute. But I would be, I'd be just missing the point if I didn't give some of you an opportunity to make that decision today to put your faith in Jesus. Everybody has faith in something. The question is, is what you have faith in going to get you the life you're hoping to have? And there are things you can put your faith in. It might give you a good life now, but it won't forever. Jesus is the only one that can give you fullness of joy, fullness of life now and forever and ever. Jesus is the only one that has the authority to forgive your sins and wash your sins away and make you brand new. Jesus is the one who gives you the spirit of God who actually dwells in you and teaches you and causes you to change and transform from the inside out. It's Jesus that does that. And I wanna give you the opportunity to put your faith in him today. With every head bow, every head bowed and eyes closed, just for a second, I wanna give you a chance to respond and put your faith in Jesus there two people here today, I want to just, I want to just wash a couple lies away first before we ask this question. There's some people here that you're trying to, there's a lie being whispered into your spirit that says, you don't need this. You don't need forgiveness. 
The Bible says the devil is a liar. He's a thief and a robber and he's trying to rob the life that God wants to give you. You do need this. And then there's another group of people here that says you, there's a lie that's whispering into your spirit saying you don't deserve this. God can't forgive you. You're the exception. There are no exceptions. Jesus died for all. Christ died for all. This is for you. So let's just dispel those lies. Let's just kick back the voice of the accuser and the liar. And let me, on the count of three, I just want you to shoot your hand up if today you want to put your faith in Jesus Christ and say, today I'm becoming a new creation. Today is the day I'm making that decision. I'm stepping from death to life. I'm banking my whole existence on this one Jesus. He's my salvation. He's my new beginning. He's my end. He's everything in between. If that's you, on the count of three, when I hit three, I want you to shoot your hand up. One, the Bible says that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Christ was Christ was raised from the dead, you will be saved. Two, the Bible also says today is the day of salvation. Don't put this off until tomorrow. Don't put it off. You might not get this choice again. This is God reaching out to you saying, come to me all ye who are weary, all ye who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest is yours and salvation is yours. Three, why don't you put your hand up and respond today and give your life to Jesus. If that's you, put it up. I see a few hands. Put them Awesome, awesome, awesome. Put it up high. We're with you. Awesome. That's great. That's great. Put your hands down. Let's all pray this together out loud. Remind ourselves. Some of us just, hey, there's about six hands that just went up, church. Yeah. Let's. Let's just pray this simple prayer. There's no magic words. There's no incantation. The sinner's prayer, it's not in the Bible. It's just something that helps us put a handle on what just happened. Why don't you repeat this after me and then we'll celebrate. Dear Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need saving. I give you my life. Forgive me my sins. I'm yours forever. Amen. Amen. And all God's people celebrated it. And thank you, Lord. Yeah, amen. Let's celebrate.